morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, February 1st, we are studying Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. Jesus withdraws to a mountain for a time of prayer before he calls 12 of his disciples to be his apostles. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kelgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kelgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's great to be back. Let's talk a little context as we get started. What's been going on in Luke's gospel? What should we know as we get prepared to study this section of Luke 6? Yeah, so right before this, um, you've got the, the call of Levi, or Matthew as we know him more commonly, and then you've got um, the, these three instances where Jesus is uh, encountering the scribes, Pharisees, various groups. Um, there's this question about fasting. Um, there's, uh, he's going through the grain fields and plucking the grain and eating them. And they, they ask him about, um, the, the Sabbath and he gives the, the great statement, you know, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, and then he heals a man with a withered hand, um, on the Sabbath as well. So, um, so you get all these kind of questions that are coming up between the scribes and Pharisees and whatnot. And, uh, he teaches on all of these things. And then it's in that context, that's the, these days then. So in these days, namely, as Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, um, he goes up onto a mountain to pray. So that, that, that's where we're at. This, this text really feels like a bit of a, a reprieve to me. In the sense that the last several texts, as you pointed out, have been about conflict. I mean, Jesus has been doing things that I think should be received positively. And over and over again, the Pharisees have been very negative toward Jesus. They've rejected him over and over again to the point that in the very previous verse, they're filled with fury. They're discussing what they might do to Jesus. And we know that, that what their plans are. So there, there's a bit of a reprieve here from that that conflict. And you start to get that broader picture that there are in fact people who are listening to Jesus, believing Jesus. We're, we're going to hear of disciples and apostles. It's a nice reminder that while Jesus was rejected very harshly by the religious leaders, there are people who are listening to him, believing him. The word of God is being effective as Jesus is preaching to call people to himself. Yeah. So um, there, there's another thing that I, I might just want to mention, um, but before I forget about it, there, there is this um, preface in this text that, that's actually important. Uh, if I if I don't mention this and Doctor Just listens to this, then he'll like come find me and, and yell at me or something. Uh, but that there's this agenato day that that's the the Greek, and in Luke this is a really really important marker, um, and and it came to pass is how it might be translated, um, but it's it tends to mark off really important things in Luke. So we can get this again today. It's kind of like this, um, this uh, flashing light, like pay attention to what is about to happen here, especially. So for example, you get it when Zechariah is serving the temple, you get it when a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. 
um, uh, when Jesus is um, uh, going to uh, be born, um, you get it uh, at the um, baptism of Jesus, um, and you actually get it um, in the two immediate texts from this. So you get this kind of refrain that's showing up, um, you know, and it came to pass um, while he's um, uh, um, on a Sabbath plunking grain, and it came to pass on the Sabbath when he's at a Pharisee's house, and it came to pass in those days, right? So it's, it's kind of linking mm -hmm. all this stuff together too that way. All right, so we've got a marker that we're going to read something important here. We're picking up in Luke 6, verse 12. In these days he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. That's the first part of our text. That takes us through verse 16 of chapter 6. So, Pastor Kilgo, we will talk about the 12 apostles, but let's, let's make sure we understand the setting. So, it's in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. Let's talk about both of those things, the mountain and then the purpose, the going there to pray. Why? What are? What's the significance of these two details? So, so the mountain is this this place that you get all throughout the scriptures, and it works its way into the gospels, where particularly important things dealing with God and His glory and His will, these things happen very often on mountains. So, the Lord chooses, for example, Mount Sinai to deliver the law, and He chooses. Um, uh, Mount Zion to be the the, the picture of his uh, place of salvation. You get, um, that, I'm blanking <laughs> on the name of the mountain, but where uh, Abraham goes, or where Abraham goes up with Isaac, um, Mariah. Mariah. Thank you. Uh, and so you get all these things going up. You get Elijah uh, encountering God on um, on mountain. You get the uh, Mount Carmel uh, and the in the process of Baal, like over and over and over. There's just like this theme of mountains and that comes to its culmination at the mountain of Golgotha. That, that, that's pretty clear, but you get these other things in the meantime. And so here he's going up on a mountain and he's conversing with his father. And it's somewhat reminiscent of what you get in John 17, where Jesus is going and praying to his father, um, the high priestly prayer right before his, his suffering and his crucifixion. Um, that, that Jesus is going and speaking to his father. And, and it would seem that he's speaking to him specifically concerning the calling of the 12, um, that, that they're in that sort of proximity to each other would seem to indicate that that's the, the content of the prayer, um, which is, again, the, the, the parallel with this into Jesus praying that his father's will would be done regarding his crucifixion, that there's also, we can kind of hear even though it's not recorded, Jesus is praying that his father's will would be done in which of the of the disciples would be called to be the twelve. Yeah, I think I think you're right about attaching the the content of Jesus' prayer to the context of his calling the disciples, and also then to the prayers where we do hear the actual words of Jesus in Luke's gospel later, you know, when Jesus prays in Garden Gethsemane, and then the prayer you mentioned from John 17. And the way that I've, I've usually looked at, at Jesus' prayers is 
based on the the ones that we do know the words, is that he's he's praying for his people, which in this case is is likely going to be very specifically for these men whom he's about to call to be his apostles. And even when you look at the prayer in John 17, we know from that prayer he did pray for those men and what they were going to go through. That that prayer, of course, is prayed also on on Monday, Thursday there in John 17. But I, I think it's appropriate for us to think about it here. And then more broadly speaking, we should also understand that when Jesus goes to pray, he's also praying for us. Again, that's that's part of his prayer for the Father's will. And also then the prayer there in John 17, he prays for not only his disciples who are there at that moment, but also for his disciples later. So I, I do think that's that's something important. When we see Jesus praying in the Gospels, even when the prayer's not recorded, we should understand from the prayers that are recorded that he's, I mean, this is part of his work of salvation, his work of intercession for us, his people. Right. And it and it also is for us example, right? So we have to be a little bit careful when we talk about Jesus's example. Um, Luther makes a really wonderful note about this, that before Jesus is our example, he must first be our savior. Um, and that's really important that to understand that the relationship of those two vocations of, of Jesus, because it does help to delineate where he can be example. So he's not my example in his, um, in his death for the sins of the world, because that's not me, right? I, I, I can't do that. Um, but he is my example, for example, here in prayer, so that um, there is a particularly important task that is ahead of him, and it's prefaced with prayer. Um, and so this is then my example when there are particular tasks ahead of me that I approach it in prayer, but also that I pray uh, God's will to be done, that I pray uh, for those who are around me, um, I pray for uh, myself and my faithfulness to the scriptures and all this. And we can see all this actually then being unfolded into the Lord's prayer itself, right? So that Jesus approaches his father and he, um, through his mediation and through his redemption for us, brings us into that same relationship so that now we also come in the same way Jesus does. And we pray to not only his father, but our father. Yeah, I mean, this, this, we've talked about this elsewhere in Luke's gospel. You know, for example, in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus is the, the 12-year-old boy, and, and we see his obedience to his parents and, and how that is part of his fulfilling the law for us, Jesus as Savior. But we do rightly see him as an example of an obedient child and the example of a, a faithful family or you know, Jesus' custom of, of going to worship regularly. Again, this is Jesus hearing the word of God, fulfilling the law for us, and yet also serving as example. And, and so with his prayers, this is a part of his work for our salvation, his, you know, bringing us before his father, but also then example. So I mean, we want to hold both of those things together. Sometimes I, I wonder if we, yeah, I, and I appreciate Luther's comment. I think Walther echoes him in, in his law and gospel that we, you know, we need to see Jesus as savior. But we we do still need to see him as an example too. We don't want to just throw that out entirely. I think I wonder sometimes maybe there's a danger that we we totally ignore that. We we want to see that as well, even if it's not the first thing that we see. Right. And there there's another thing in this too that that's kind of nice. So um, I was I was meditating on this uh, because we had the uh, the wedding at Cana text um, the, this past Sunday, and there's this wonderful thing that our our liturgies pick up, and it picks up where Jesus engages in a particular task and sanctifies that thing. So this shows up in the flood prayer for baptism. By your baptism in the Jordan, you sanctified all waters. By your uh, presence of the wedding at Cana, you blessed 
uh, all marriages. By your rest in the tomb, you sanctified the graves of all believers. The uh, Norwegian synod brings in the, the boy Jesus in the temple as a sanctifying of education. Um, and here, even though it doesn't show up in our, in our liturgy, we can, we can see this too. And this is this kind of general idea that Jesus sanctifies everything he touches so that he sanctifies even our prayers. So that um, Jesus, the reason why our prayers are well-pleasing to the Father and they're heard by him is because Jesus has made our prayers holy. Um, and that's a really wonderful thing to be able to rest on the assurance that when we call upon God in prayer, in the same way that the Father hears Jesus, like there's never any doubt, right? That Jesus prays to the Father. We're never doubting that the Father's hearing him, right? And because Jesus has brought us into that same reality, uh, we ought never to doubt that the Father is hearing us in the same way he hears his son. Mm, yeah, that, that is a fantastic promise from our Lord. So he is on the mountain all night long. He's praying. Then day comes, and that's when he he acts then. He calls his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So again, before we get to the, the names and who these men are, Let's just set that scene. It sounds like there's a, a larger group of disciples and Jesus chooses 12 from that group. What, what's going on here? Yeah, so the, these these are the same guys that are going to show up later after the the naming of them. So you've got all these disciples and there's this, this general kind of, th you, you get it, especially in Luke, you get the disciples broadly. And then a little bit later, we're going to have the 72. And it's just in kind of a group of 72 of this larger group of disciples. And then you've also got the 12. And then you've also got this inner group of Peter, James, and John. Uh, and then you've got Jesus himself as the, as the oh. chief apostle. So there's this, there's this narrowing down of the, um, of the disciples um, down to Jesus himself. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, the disciples, maybe this is just a good reminder for people, because we'll talk about this with the word apostle too, um, is disciple just is one who follows, right? So this is where we'll talk about someone is a disciple of John MacArthur, for example, um, or in football, you'll talk about this, how someone, you get the coaching trees, right? So somebody is a, as a disciple of Andy Reid or something like this, right? Um, and that just means that they follow in the, the approach that Andy Reid has to coaching, they follow that same approach, right? The, the approach that John MacArthur has to being a pastor and preaching and whatnot, they follow that same approach. And so when we say we are disciples of Jesus, that means that we follow what he teaches and does, right? So, um, so that's the, the broad term, um, and it is the synonymous term for believers. To, be a, to have faith in Christ is to be a disciple of Christ. They're, they're joined together. So then what's the distinction with apostle? A disciple's a follower or a learner. What, what is the distinction with apostle? Yeah, so apostles are a subset of the disciples right um it, it's kind of the, the same thing where a uh, a square can be a rectangle but a rectangle can't be a square because rectangle has a broader definition than a square does so uh same thing with disciple and apostle apostles are part of the disciples who are specifically called and sent to do a particular thing and, and in this case for the 12 uh, they are called to be the uh, in essence the founding of the New Testament church uh, there to uh, write down the, uh, the account of Jesus's life and uh, preaching there to, to write towards the other churches and um, straighten out the various conduct and 
and things that are going on there to found churches to be going out into the um, various nations. And we'll, and we'll see this even in like some of the traditions regarding the uh, apostles and where they're at. Um, that all of this is this, this sending sort of thing. And, and this is actually encapsulated in Jesus himself. So we, we should remember Jesus makes this comment that even as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you uh, talking to the uh, apostles. And that, that's in the, um, in the upper room uh, in John 20. But even prior to that, back into his high priestly prayer in John 17, it, praying to his father, he makes the same sort of comment that um, uh, as you have sent me um, uh, and given me these ones whom I've sent, something along those lines. Um, and in there in particular, both terms are uh, the term for apostle, apostello. Um, so as you've apostled me, I'm also apostling these. And so there's this lineage, so to speak, from Jesus himself to the apostles, and they therefore carry with them the particular authority of Jesus. So in the same way that we talk about with the office of the keys, that pastors are given this authority, this particular authority from Jesus to forgive the sins of those who are repentant and bind the sins of those who are not. And this is Matthew 16, Matthew 18, John 20. Um, it, it's, it's important to note that this is not given just to the apostles, but it's given to the disciples broadly. Um, especially in the other areas um, so that it's not a particular apostolic authority. It's a church authority uh, to bind and retain sins. But that's an authority that Jesus has given. And he does the same thing with the apostles, but he gives them this broader authority to be the, the teachers of the church. This is why you get an Acts. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine. Um, it's not that the apostles are making something up. They are now the voice of Jesus with Jesus having ascended, right? And we continue to hear that voice today uh, through the apostles' writings, which is the entirety of the New Testament. Every single book has the apostles either uh, their, their hand to it um, or they are behind the hand that is to it. Hmm. So, so how did these 12 guys get to be apostles? I mean, you know, like, was it eeny, meeny, miny, moe kind of thing? I don't, it doesn't sound like that. How, how, does, how does verse 13 describe the, processes the the way in which Jesus made them as apostles. Yeah, it, it's actually really nice. Um, so so in the Greek, it it, it becomes super obvious. So uh, when when day came, um, he called out his disciples um, and spoke out from them uh, twelve, um, uh, whom uh, he also named. Apostles, so you can hear all this speaking language in there, and and, and they're all different, um, different words too. It's not like he's just using the same words. It's like he, Luke is almost. It, it seems like he's trying to make it super clear, like there is a an active speaking on the part of Jesus here to uh, to call them out. So th what what happens in my mind is you've got all the all the disciples gathered there, and Jesus has like this this list, and he's like, okay, listen up. When your name is called. Please come into the back room. The rest of you, uh, thank you for your service, right? And um, I mean, it's obviously not how it goes, but uh, he's sitting there and he's he's calling them, uh, uh, he he's calling them out by name. He's saying, you know, uh, Simon, Andrew, James, Philip, Bartholomew. Um, you know, some of these need some, as we'll see, they they need some 
specificity behind behind the name, but there it's it is a speaking that Jesus is doing. And this this is another instance where um the the word of Jesus is the efficacious thing. They're they're not apostles apart from uh the the word of Jesus, the call of Jesus. And we see that even in the other two apostles. So fun trivia question answer is how many apostles are there? And it's 14, right? Because you get the initial 12 and then you get Bartholomew, um, or not, um, uh, uh, Barnabas. Uh, no, help me out here. My, my Matthias. Matthias, thank you. My, my brain stopped working. Um, so you get Math Matthias who replaces Judas and then you get Paul as the untimely born apostle. And, um, but even there, Paul obviously is called directly by Jesus through the vision and, um, uh, and it's corroborated by the, um, by the accompanying vision on where he's told to go. And then you get, uh, Matthias is he's called through the call of the apostles, right? Because the apostles have the apostolic authority to do this. Their word carries the weight of Jesus's word itself. So, um, and they're also, if you, if you look at the account, they just quote scripture to, to kind of lay this whole thing out. And so they're, they're still using Jesus's word there to accomplish. Well, and, and even I think the, the use of lots in that case, I mean, they, they put the decision in the hands of the Lord through the lots. Right. Such, I mean, so it's, it's even more, I, I get my bringing that out is that I would say it's that you have that immediate nature of that call that comes from the Lord himself, rather than say the immediate call through the means, like the call that you and I have to be pastors that's come from the Lord through the church. Right. The apostles had this immediate call from the Lord himself. Right. Um, and, and what's maybe important about this is we, we still have this as an issue in the church today where you will have some groups that will claim to have apostles or someone who will claim apostleship. Um, and, and, we just we do not have apostles anymore because we don't have Jesus coming along and calling guys by name as apostles out of the broad group of disciples. Um, we have pastors who stand in the apostolic line in the sense that you see this with the apostles appointing future pastors, you know, like Timothy is appointed by Paul uh, to be a, a pastor in that area. But Timothy does not carry the apostolic authority that Paul does. Um, and, and you see this with all the, all the guys that come after, like Stevens and other examples, Stephen does not carry the apostolic authority of, of the guys that are appointing him. So that this is an important note that, um, you get, you get the apostles, you get the 12, you get the replacement of Jews, and then you get the 13th, which is the going out into the Gentiles. And that's it. Um, now the, the Lord does not continue raising up apostles for us. He raises up, um, faithful disciples and pastors out of those faithful and then it, it is still the apostolic church though because we hold to what the apostles taught and then wrote down for us in the new testament so it is right. still the apostolic church even though the men themselves are now with the lord awaiting the resurrection right. one one more thing on the apostles before we talk about them each as we have time is is just this matter of the calling of the disciples as apostles, these 12 men, this is a call that comes by grace. And I just think that's, that's worth noting. And, and just the two that have been mentioned more particularly than the others so far, you've got Simon who's, who's called and he notes very clearly, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And then you've got Levi 
Jesus calls him while he's sitting at his tax booth. Mm -hmm. So just as these men were called to be disciples by the grace of God and by his grace alone, so they're named to be apostles by his grace and by his grace alone. And, and as the text will continue, uh, Luke's not afraid to show us the sins and the faults of these 12 men. Right. And, and this is a continuation of what the Lord's been doing even in the Old Testament, right? You look at the call of the prophets uh, throughout the Old Testament. You even look at the call of guys like uh, King David. You know, the Lord very regularly, it's like he almost goes out of his way to not call the people you think he would, right? Um, uh, to, to show that, that it's his grace that is sufficient and it's his working that, that's going to cause this. I, th I think one of the, the prime examples is Gideon, right? Uh, when, they're, when the Lord is telling him to select the, these warriors and whatnot to, to go in, um, he's basically, he's like, you know, uh, take, take the... Um, take the ones that that lean down and and lap it up like dogs, and get rid of any of the ones that um, that are uh, afraid to be here, and all this sort of stuff. And like um, all all the you you get this this group of warriors that you're like this this is not who we want to go to battle with, right? Um, and the Lord's point is you're not winning because you're awesome. You're winning because I'm awesome, right? Mm. Um, you're you're preaching as the as the apostles and the prophets is not going to be efficacious because you're so eloquent or because you're um, such a, a great guy and everybody loves you. Your preaching is going to be efficacious because it's my word and my word is efficacious. So um, th this yeah. is always the case that's standing behind all of this. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we saw that with the, in Luke five, the, the miraculous catch of fish, that it is the word of the Lord that's going to do the work through these 12. One, one more thing, actually, I thought of one more question. Why 12? What, why is this, this the number that Jesus chooses? Yeah, so 12 is, in the scriptures, the number for the church. And we see this with the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the New Testament, the, the tribes end up basically being fulfilled through the 12 apostles. And we see this in the book of Revelation, where you get the, the two sets of 12. You get the 24 elders, um, namely the, the Old and New Testament church gathered around the throne of God. So there's this completeness. So 12 just ends up being the number for the church in the scriptures. So Jesus has 12 apostles that he has called from his disciples. He's done this by his grace. Luke lists them for us, and we will talk more about those men on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Luke chapter six with Pastor Sean Kilgo. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, February 1st. We're studying Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. He serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, in the text, we are at now at the list of the apostles. Before we talk about the individual men there, just how does Luke arrange them for us? Is there anything we should notice about his structure of these the list? Yeah, so there, there's 
maybe the most important is the beginning and end. Uh, so you, you begin with Peter and all the lists always begin with Peter. And that seems to indicate what we see represented in the gospels themselves. And that is that Peter is essentially the spokesman uh, for the um, apostles. Um, he's the one who will make the great confessions. He's the one who will also put his foot firmly into his mouth. Um, and so he, he represents all of them. And uh, you also get um, uh, Judas at the end, which, you know, makes sense. Uh, but importantly, Judas is listed. And we, we shouldn't kind of overlook that fact. And, and the fact that he's listed as uh, one who would become a betrayer. Um, and so he's not yet um, unfaithful. That doesn't happen until Luke 22 when Satan enters into him. Uh, so he's still, you're, um, you're kind of spoiling the end in saying, you know, the one who would betray him, but, uh, um, that way it's maybe not a surprise for the reader when they're going through, although anybody in the ancient world probably knew at this point, um, um, it would be interesting to see if there was like some sort of, uh, history of the naming of people in the ancient world and to see if Judas, um, very quickly becomes an uncommon name, um, after, around the year 33, right? Mm. Um, it, it wouldn't be surprising if that was the case, but he, he's in there. And then within the others, the, maybe the only other um, notable thing is at the beginning, you get the inner circle. Um, so Peter, James, and John is the, the firm inner circle, and you get Andrew, who's Peter's brother. So he's, he's there with Peter, right? And he is a, a pretty um, well-known and important apostle. Um, and there's almost like the, this tiering then of them, uh, even within the the apostles, there's um, an, an ordering to it. Yeah, just to briefly on the the matter of Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor, as the ESV reads. You know, I mean, I do think one spoiler alert, and and yet also, it, I think it's an indication that the gospel is meant to be read and reread. Like this isn't supposed to be a surprise. You're supposed to know the account. You're supposed to keep coming back to it and so that you know it's, it's not like a movie where it's supposed to be a surprise at the end you're supposed to know how this goes and even see those connections already in this part of the gospel and and two i think the, the point that you made that judas is listed judas iscariot is listed he really is an apostle of jesus he really did believe in jesus it's not this sort of well he was faking it all along no he really was faithful and then fell from the faith to become the betrayer. I, some important theological points to be made there for sure. So let, let's work our way, at least in brief, through some of these men. You've mentioned a few things already about Simon, who became Peter, the spokesman, the the leader of the apostles. What else should we know about this guy? Um, so maybe I, I think this is kind of the one of the interesting things with all of them, that we can just do this as we go down. Um, the, the disciples have particular symbols, or the apostles, particular symbols that are usually associated with them. So, you know, if you see these on like a, uh, in some sort of artwork or, or whatever, you can kind of recognize who's being represented there or the shields. And then also kind of the traditions regarding their deaths, I think is kind of interesting. Um, and so with, with Peter, um, he's usually represented uh, with keys um, that, that's connected to uh, the Matthew 18 passage. Um, uh, yeah, um, 16. 16, thank Matthew you. 16. So as soon as yeah. I said that, that sounded wrong. Um, the keys are repeated in Matthew 18 for the whole right. church. Um, uh, you, um, you are Peter, and upon this, I give you the keys of the kingdom, and upon this rock, I will build my church, that this, this whole thing. 
Um, his name actually means uh, uh, the rock, right? And so that's why there's a little bit of confusion with that. Um, and uh, the other image that's usually associated with him is an upside-down cross because tradition holds that he was martyred uh, through crucifixion but requested to be done so upside down because he considered himself unworthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. So that's that's our brother Peter. Tell us a little about his biological brother, Andrew. Yeah, so so Andrew's name means manly. So if you want to uh, uh, name your, your son a, a good manly name, you can name him Andrew. Um, Shout out to Andrew Bates of KFU. There you go. So you just start calling him Manly Bates. Um, and um, he's, he's the, uh, like I said, the biological brother of Simon Peter. Um, he's a fishing partner with uh, James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, that we'll get here just in a second. So he's connected with them. Uh, and tradition holds for him that he's crucified on an X-shaped cross. Uh, he's tied to it. He's not um, actually nailed in. Uh, and Andrew, uh, like Peter, didn't want to uh, die on a cross in the same shape as Jesus's cross. So he didn't want the same exact death as Jesus. He considered that unworthy. And tradition holds that as he's there, he actually preaches because it takes a while, it turns out, when you're tied to a cross like this to actually die. And so he preaches sermons while he's uh, there. And so that's our that's our brother, Andrew. Tell us now, let's take them by pairs. James and John, they are brothers. What do we know about these two? Yeah, men? so James and John, James, uh, usually known as James the Greater. Um, and uh, John, his brother, um, whose name means the Lord has been gracious. Uh, James is the first disciple to be, or the first apostle to be martyred. He's the only one we actually have the account of in, in the book of Acts. That's about 15 years after his death, um, and it's through uh, Herod the First. Um, and uh, uh, he's beheaded uh, by him. Uh, and he's usually represented by... Um, uh, three scallop shells that they refer to as pilgrimage. Uh, his brother um, is the one we know in the book of the, the gospel of John as the beloved disciple. Um, that is a, a way in which John incorporates himself into the gospel in a humble way because he doesn't put his actual name in it. Sometimes that comes across as being arrogant, but that that is a mark of humility in the gospel. Um, he He is the only apostle to not have been reported to uh, be martyred. He dies of old age, uh, somewhere between uh, 100 and 105. Um, uh, the, his his symbol, though, is a a chalice with a serpent in it, because tradition holds that somebody tried to poison him. Um, I, I've heard variants that it was just a cup, or that it was actually in the Lord's Supper um, on this, and the Lord preserved him from death um, in spite of that. He actually did drink from the cup, according to tradition, and the Lord preserved him. Hmm. Before we leave John behind, uh, we have a listener question here about the meaning of the name John. We talked a little bit about this with John the Baptist earlier in Luke's gospel. Mm -hmm. And the question was, does the name John mean the Lord has been gracious or the Lord, meaning Yahweh, has been gracious? And I, I think the answer to that is it's Yahweh yeah. has been gracious, right. correct? Yeah, you get that, the Yah. Um, so in, in, um, uh, in, in Greek... Uh, it is um, uh, 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 Yohanan, so you get that Yah, Yah from Yahweh thrown in there, but it's a little bit odd because it's going from Hebrew into Greek, and so you, you lose a little bit of that. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely I I I 
as far as I understand, connected to the divine name. Yeah, that, that's my understanding too. So thank you for that question. Again, the name John does mean Yahweh, the Lord, has been gracious. So let's take the next two, Philip and Bartholomew. So Philip means uh, lover of horses. Um, so uh, you, uh, if you know a little bit of Greek, you can hear this. Uh, philos is the uh, philao, and um, hippos is the, the word for horse. So you get merge those together, you get Philip. Um, he is a friend of Andrew, Peter, and Bartholomew, and he's usually shown... Uh, in his uh, depiction with uh, two loaves um, and a cross because of his uh, part in the feeding of the 5,000 and his role in stressing the cross as a sign of uh, Christian victory. Um, he is reported to have been hung around the year AD in Hierapolis, Turkey. So this is where we start getting some of these, like, oh, he's in Turkey, right? What is he doing there? Oh, well, he's planting churches. Right, he's doing the work that, that Jesus has sent him out to do. Um, and then and Bartholomew. Bartholomew, uh, his name means uh, son of Talmai. I don't know what Talmai means though, um, so I didn't get that deep in it. He's um, possibly the Nathaniel from uh, John one. Um, there's there's some speculation on that, but a lot of people tend to hold that, that Bartholomew is Nathaniel. Um, the traditions hold that he is the one who brings the gospel to India, and he's um, well, a tradition also holds that he uh, was um, skinned alive um, in his uh, martyrdom. And uh, so his um, image is usually uh, either three knives uh, or um, a, a knife on top of a book uh, depicting both that and his preaching. Just a brief note in the middle here that with with Philip and Bartholomew and then Matthew and Thomas that we'll talk about, we're we're in what you might consider a, a second tier, and not that they're less important, but we tend to know less about these apostles than we do the first four that we mentioned. And and that's gonna go into a, a third tier of sorts. Again, ones that we know even less about when we get beyond that. So Philip and Bartholomew. Now, what about Matthew and Thomas? Matthew, we've heard a little bit about already in Luke's gospel. Right. So Matthew, we also know him as Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, his name means gift of the Lord. Um, he is the, um, the first one to start writing. as uh, one of the reasons why Matthew is the first gospel. Uh, so his is the, the, um, the uh, often considered that either him or, or Mark are considered the earliest, but they're going to be very close to each other. I won't start the whole debate on Matthean or Mark in priority here. Um, and his symbol is usually uh, either three money bags and or a winged man. Um, so you get this. Um, there's a connection here. Same with John, actually. John is sometimes depicted just as an eagle because that's his, um, um, his uh, the symbol for the, the gospel. Matthew is the, the, the man. So um, sometimes that's there. Uh, along with or in place of the money bags. And the money bags are self-explanatory. He's a tax collector. And so um, that's how he's represented. Um, he is uh, killed purportedly um, in Ethiopia. Um, that's, that's what tradition holds for him. Uh, with Thomas, uh, his name means the twin. Um, he's also called Didymus, which in my understanding is like the Greek name for twin. Um, He's best remembered. This is our doubting Thomas uh, or unsure Thomas. I, I really don't like that name. Um, Thomas that went out for groceries and, and missed the first appearance. Um, uh, so that that's this Thomas. And, um, and that's where you get, like in John, uh, Thomas, who is called the twin, 
um, you know, what was not there. Uh, he is, um, a tradition holds that he is uh, killed with a spear around uh, the year 70 in India. And um, so he's depicted with a spear, but also with a carpenter square, because tradition holds that he also um, was physically building churches in the area with, with his own hands. I've always thought we should call him Believing Thomas. Yeah. Because he, he does make that fantastic confession of faith there in John 20, my Lord and my God. So, I yeah, we don't we don't call Peter denying Peter. Right. So, yeah. But Thomas, okay, another of the 12. Now we come to, again, to that third tier of sorts, ones that we know far less about. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot. Who are these two? Yeah, so uh, James, uh, James means supplanter. So uh, you can do with that what you, what you want. Um, he's known as James the Lesser. That's sometimes what he's referred to. Um, apparently because he was small. He was smaller than James the, the Greater. Um, I don't know if there's any kind of lineage that one's older or younger than the other. Um, but that, at least my research, that's, that's what I got. Um, and his symbol ends up being a, a fish laying on top of a, a Bible, um, indicating that he's a fisherman who becomes um, a fisher of men uh, through the, the preaching of the gospel. And he is, uh, tradition holds that he's crucified in lower Egypt, um, and then he's sawed into pieces. Um, or no, sorry, that this is... Oh, uh, fish on the Bible. That that's not that's not James. That that's Simon. Sorry, um, I I mix these up. Uh, James the Lesser. Um, his his symbol is a saw, um, because he's crucified in Lower Egypt, and then his dead body is sawed into pieces, um, afterwards. So that's that's his symbol. Um, si pleasant. Simon the Zealot, or uh, uh, Matthew and Mark call him Simon the Cananean, which Cananean just means zealot. So it's usually just in English translated zealot there as well. Um, his is fish on the Bible. Um, and he's um, uh, purported to have been killed in uh, Persia through crucifixion, possibly alongside um, the, the killing of Jude. Mm. So um, mm. uh, his, his name is um, uh, Simon means he hears or, or, or hearing. Um, and so that's uh, Simon and, and James. Sure. And just to, you know, I mean, these are, we, we maybe need to re revisit this when we get to the passage coming up in Luke where Jesus talks about picking up your cross and following me and how very real that was for these apostles, the the mm -hmm. way that they suffered for the Lord, not only in life, but in their death as well. It's sometimes very literally on a cross of, of some kind. So just, to, I mean, a, a reminder that as we think about the deaths of these men, that it was for the sake of Jesus. And because of that, even though they lost their lives, they have, in fact, gained them in Christ. The last two then are both named Judas, Judas, the son of James, and then Judas Iscariot. We've talked a little bit about Iscariot. But let's go through through both of them here. So give us the two uh, Judas. Judas, son of James, the, the, the name Judas means large hearted <laughs> or courageous. Um, he's also called Thaddeus in um, Matthew and Mark. Uh, he's sometimes just referred to as Jude. Um, uh, possibly in order to distinguish him from Judas Iscariot. Um, he is purported to have been uh, killed with era arrows in Persia, particularly at um, uh, uh, Ararat. And his, uh, his symbol ends up being a ship um, because he's a, um, a missionary. 
uh, because of his his missionary work. Uh, Judas Iscariot, um, again, name means the same thing. Uh, um, he is originally from Judah near Jericho. We know a little bit more about Judas than, than some of these others towards the bottom. Um, he is responsible for taking care of the, the money um, in the group. So he's like the treasurer uh, for Jesus and the other disciples. And he is the one who then betrays Jesus with that money um, for 30 pieces of, or um, betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, um, which there's certainly a connection there in him being kind of the money handler and and how all this sort of works. Um, he's also the one who comes along and, and uh, it kind of is uh, concerned about how they could sell the, the ointment that the the unnamed lady is is using the the purinard uh, to anoint his feet. He's the one that's concerned about you know being able to sell that and uh, you know use it to to feed the poor. Um, and again, a, a very treasure sort of thing to do. Um, and he is the one who also ends up hanging himself at, at the end. Um, so we we know his his death, but it's not a martyrdom. It's a death at his own hand. Thirty three A.D. Um, and his symbol then ends up being a money bag uh, for for obvious reasons. Not only is he the treasurer, but also this is the the price of betrayal. Um, and it's interesting as as we went through the majority of the symbols, and this is kind of good to meditate on. The majority of the symbols that we use for the apostles are the symbols of their martyrdom or of their death. Um, and uh, this is just like with Jesus. This ends up being part of their glory. So. Jesus's glory and his cross are bound to each other. And for the apostles, their martyrdom and their glory are also bound together because it's part of their faith. And it's what Jesus promises will happen with them. Uh, Jesus gives infamously the, the, the promise to Peter that they will lead you where you do not want to go and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and it says, um, prophesying about his death. Uh, John gives that, that insertion. So there we have the 12 apostles named by Jesus. We will learn more about them as the narrative goes on. Very helpful summary there from Pastor Kilgo as to what they they come to do later on in life and some of the other things we know about them. We've got about eight minutes to pick up the rest of our text. So let's look now at Luke 6, verses 17 to 19. And he, Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. That's the rest of our text today. That's Luke 6, verses 17 to 19. So, Pastor Kilgo, this is a very, it's got a bit of a summary here, I suppose, of the ministry that Jesus continues to do, and also setting the stage for what is to come in an extended section of preaching that he will do in the rest of Luke, Luke chapter six, what do we need to, to see in these last three verses of our text for today? Well, th this is this gives the reason for the naming of what, what's commonly called the Sermon on the Plain, uh, that he comes down and he stands upon a flat place, um, and so that this you get the Sermon on the Plain that that comes up, and that that's part of the reason why it's named that as this this text right here. But you, what, what's interesting is. So he's coming back down from the mountain. Um, you, you can hear echoes in here of like um, uh, the transfiguration, for example, that there's this, this movement uh, down from some kind of great event. Uh, same with the Old Testament sort of stuff. Um, but there's two crowds initially. There's the, the crowd of the disciples from which the 12 have been uh, uh, called. 
um, and you have this uh, great number of people, and they're from kind of all over the place. They're from Judah and Jerusalem and the area of Tyre and Sidon. So you've got Jews and Gentiles all kind of uh, mixed together here. That's uh, a very mixed lot. But what's what's important is why they're there. Um, and this is where you start getting the, this merging of the two groups. They're all there um, uh, first uh, to hear him and second to be healed of their uh, diseases um, and the, uh, the unclean spirits that are troubling them. But the, the very first thing is to hear them. And, and you see this in like the ordering of these things. You can see this even in um, the shepherds when they're coming back from uh, um, uh, beholding Jesus at his birth. Uh, it says, um, we, we would expect it to say all they had seen and heard, but the, the order is actually switched. It's all they had heard and seen. So the, the hearing becomes the, the primary thing and the seeing is uh, uh, helped along by the hearing, basically. So the, what, the, what they're seeing, because if you think about it in that context, they're there, they're seeing a baby. Well, that, that's not a big deal normally, unless you've heard something about this baby that makes it a particularly important baby. Well, here, same thing that, um, you know, you, you could be healed um, from, from diseases and stuff elsewhere. You, you get this even in the, um, the woman with the great flow of blood that she's been going around and trying to, uh, she, she spent ev everything she has on physicians and stuff like physicians exist. The guy who's writing this, for example, is a physician, like his, his vocation is to heal people. So the healing is actually not the, the biggest deal here. It's the hearing and the hearing is actually informing what's going on in the healing. Um, so I think that's one of the things we want to see here that, that, um, What's the primary thing that this, these two groups are joined together by and, and gathered around Jesus for? It's to hear his preaching that, that, that's about to come up. And it has been going on, too. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen this throughout the Gospel of Luke, where the, the teaching and healing go together. And, and so often, you know, it is the, the authority of Jesus' word and the teaching that comes first and is recognized, and then it's, it's made visible in the healings that do happen. But again, always pointing us back to the authority that's there in Jesus' word. Pastor Kilgore, with about three and a half minutes, help us to wrap up this text from Luke 6. We've got the calling of the apostles, the introduction to his extended sermon that we're going to look at beginning tomorrow. What's the good news? How do we see our Savior Jesus in these verses from Luke 6? Yeah, so I, th I think the the thing to maybe tie this together is this, this very last line or, or the, maybe to jump into the next section. Um, and all the crowds uh, were, were seeking to touch him for power was coming out from him and, uh, and he healed all. This, this initial thing, like all of a sudden it's, it's one crowd, right? What started as two crowds now has become one crowd. And what, what's been in between these, it, it's the hearing. And we have the same thing still today, you know, when we gather as the church, we're gathering from all sorts of different backgrounds, all walks of life, um, coming into the same building, um, the same gathering area, and yet we become one crowd there. Um, not, not because of, you know, something that we've worked out amongst ourselves, but because God has called us there uh, to hear his word. And through that word, he's united us together. We, we don't have a unity together apart from the scriptures, but in the scriptures, we have this unity that merges together um, apostles, disciples, 
uh, people from Judah and Jerusalem and Tyre and Sidon, you know, people from Kansas and Texas, we can even uh, get along with each other. And, uh, and all of a sudden it's, it's one group. It's one holy Christian apostolic church, right? And so you, you can see this happening here on account of Jesus' word. And then what happens is they're, they're all grabbing after Jesus because power is coming out of him and, and healing them. And it doesn't happen exactly the same for us, but I, I would argue that it happens in a much more phenomenal and, and wonderful way that the, the Lord's power still continues to come out of Jesus in order to heal us, but he heals us uh, through his forgiveness and his mercy and his kindness through giving us everlasting life and salvation. And this is particularly through the power that is in his word that we have in the divine service and through our baptism and through the Lord's Supper, that, that here his power is actually being ma made manifest uh, day after day after day in our lives until he returns. And, th and this is a really marvelous and wonderful thing for us to, to rejoice in at the end of this text. Pastor Sean Kilgo is pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas, helping us today with Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. That's great to be here. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 6 or any of the gospel according to St. Luke, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.